Let's pray. Father, we ask uh, that as we look into your word this morning, that you would be at work among us. Father, I pray that you would do in hearts and minds what only you can do. Father, I ask for your help, um, that you'd help me to communicate your word. Use it by your spirit this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start, if you don't mind, uh, with an unusual little experiment. You happy with this? Okay? Chris is happy with it. So there we go. Um, an experiment. Everybody else is going, what is he going to do to us? Okay. Now, um, here's, what I, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to try something where basically I want everyone, I want you to start clapping at the same time, but clap with your own. You could start clapping slow. You could start clapping fast. Start clapping with your own pace. But I want you to listen to what's, what, what's happening in the room and adjust. Keep clapping but adjust, and we'll see how long it takes for all of us to be clapping in unison. Okay, you ready for this? Hold on, wait, stop. no, 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 not yet, not yet. Wait, I'm going to time you, okay? All right, ready? Um, on your marks, get set, go. Okay, okay, okay. I reckon that was about eight seconds. Um, now, don't, don't tell everyone at St. Andrews, because I did that last week, and they took nine seconds, and they said, ooh, they said, did we beat Holy Trinity? And I said, I haven't done it there yet. Okay. Now, um, <laughs> now notice something here. Um, you and I, we have all been made for community. And even in that little experiment, you can see that at work. The fact that you're able, as a whole group, to adjust to each other um, is, is surprising. But here, behind it, God from eternity has been a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There has been community at the heart of God's nature for all eternity. And so you being made in the image of God, a core part, an important part of you is that your soul needs to connect with others. Your soul needs to love and be loved. Now, by the way, when I say community, I don't just mean an area. What I mean when I use the word community is I mean the quality of our relationships together. Another word, like christian word, could be fellowship, but I mean the quality of our relationships together when I say community. And our, our need for community is most obvious when it's missing. This looks like loneliness. And when we feel that, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? I remember once, um, this, this example just was kind of baffling to me, I went to a youth ministry conference, and I just want to share this so you can realize how, com- how complicated this can be. I went to this conference, and I'm there with like 500 youth pastors, okay? Now, you would think on many levels that I've got so much in common with everybody else in the room that community would come really easy. Like, they're all Christians, we're all involved in the same work, we're, we're generally as a group pretty good at welcoming and caring for people, Right? And yet, I remember in the middle of that conference, feeling profoundly alone and lonely. I can remember looking around this group of this room, and because I didn't know anybody yet at this conference, because I didn't come with other people, everyone else had groups of people, and I had no, I, I couldn't figure out how to break in. And so that weekend was an incredibly lonely weekend among people where it shouldn't be the case. Community can be incredibly complicated, and yet the soul needs to love and be loved. 
And so the quality of our community as well is not meant to just be good for us, by the way, but it's also meant to be good, it's meant to be something that, that marks us out as different as Christians in this world. That people hopefully will see the quality of our community and go, there's something special that's happening there. I want to be, be part of that. Something about how I'm made says I want to be part of that. But again, community is complicated. And as a, as a vicar, if I could force community, if I could make it happen, I would. Right? Quality relationships, if I could make that happen, I would. The problem is you can't force it. It's, it's a little bit like uh, planting a seed, right? When you plant a seed, you can provide the right conditions, but you can't make it grow, right? You can give it good soil and sun and water, and you can wait. You can't force community. But there are some things you can do that provide the right environment for it to grow, which brings us to our passage. I want to get into some things in this passage. However, what it does, the, the things that help community to grow, things that we'll be focusing on, are what you can do as an individual. The way that you can play your part that hopefully encourages good community. Okay? So that's, that's where we're going. Now, um, let me start by giving you a little bit of context. So here in 1 Peter 4, what we've got is these, the Christians uh, that Peter is writing to, this is very early church. They are being very heavily persecuted. And so that's why we read in verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And even when we go forward a little bit into 2 Peter, we get a very um, well-known verse where basically they're so expectant of the return of Christ, like that Jesus could come back at any moment. They're so expecting this that Peter has to write to them to explain why Jesus hasn't come back yet. And what, uh, what Peter writes is he says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And we know we still live in that place today. That we should have the mindset that they had that Jesus might come back at any moment, because he might. And that changes how we live today, with, if we live with that awareness. But then as well, God's waiting is because people will hopefully come to know him. So notice a few things with this early church. First of all, I mentioned they were expecting Christ's return to any moment. Um, and, and as well, they were heavily persecuted. And so the quality with these two factors, the quality of their community was very important. As they were expecting the return of Christ, the Christian family becomes something that's permanent. Like, if we know that Jesus might come back today, there's a lot that's going to change, but the, some of the relationships I've developed, those continue. Because, you're, because as a family, we continue into eternity. And as well as they were persecuted, community provides a place of safety in the storm. This world is not our home, but this community is, if I can put it that way. And so a healthy community was important for this early church. And so in this text, Peter is challenging them in some ways as to what's important for their relationships together. And so that's where we get to verse 8, when it says this, Above all, and this is kind of the main thing over this passage, really, Above all, love each other deeply, 
And I love that. The word deeply there refers to the quality of our love for each other. It's not superficial, but we love deeply. Now, by the way, as a society over time, there's been many studies to show that we're getting worse at this. Like, various studies have shown that the the number of sort of relationships, close relationships that people have with each other is going down on average over time. Things like when they ask questions like, how many people can you talk about important matters with? That number is generally going down on average. And, and so there's, there's, is a con- there's concerns as to why that's happening in our society. And I want to, um, I want to share with you a quote from C.S. Lewis that I think actually is, is very, gets to the heart of some of this a little bit. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. Um, in his book, The Four Loves. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safely in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will not change, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. And we understand this, don't we? Because we've all experienced in various ways the risk that comes with love. And what can happen then is when we're hurt, to protect ourselves, we close ourselves off from others. I want to disagree or somewhat add to something that C.S. Lewis was saying there. He said, don't even love an animal. Um, I think the reason many of us love our pets is because it's safe, right? Because, you know, they're going to, basically they love whoever feeds them. (laughs) And so for many of us, actually, this is a scary thing. Because we've been hurt, we've learned to keep people at an arm's distance. And what can happen then is that we find we're not able to love each other deeply. Peter here as well acknowledges the fact that there's going to be pain that comes with love. Which is why we read in verse 8, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Or I would put it, you can put up with a lot if love is in place. Right? And so love is meant to be the thing that binds us together, but also protects us when things go wrong. And we need to be challenged, really, to step out and love. And what we find in this passage is that there's two ways that Peter gives us as to how this, what this might look like. And again, think about this for yourself. The first thing that he puts his finger on is the topic of hospitality. Okay? So we read in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, in Max Lucado, in his book, Outlive Your Life, puts it this way. Long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, she had kitchens and dinner tables. Even a casual reading of the New Testament unveils the house as the primary tool of the church. The primary gathering place of the church was the home, considered the genius of God's plan. The first generation of Christians was a tinderbox of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. At least 15 different nationalities heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jews stood next to Gentiles, men worshipped with women, slaves and masters alike sought Christ. Can people of such varied backgrounds and cultures get along with each other? 
Something holy happens around a dinner table that will never happen in a sanctuary. In a church auditorium, you see the backs of heads. Around the table, you see the expressions on faces. In the auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, everyone has a voice. Church services are on the clock. Don't worry, we'll get done in time. Around the table, there's time to talk. When you open your door to someone, you're sending the message, you matter to me and to God. You may think you're saying, come over for a visit, but what the guest hears is, I'm worth the effort. Now, bear in mind, at the same time, this idea of hospitality is bigger than just inviting people into your home, okay? Um, I, I think you can be hospitable without a home. Do you, do you see what I mean? Hospitality is bigger than that. Uh, we get it tangled up sometimes with a very middle-class English duty of hospitality, right? Um, where you feel judged by your mother if someone comes into your house and it isn't perfect, To me, hospitality is about being excited to see people. It's about welcoming people. Now, by the way, let me just ask the kind of somewhat embarrassing question. How many people are kind of here are bargain shoppers? Come on. All right, yeah. You get, like, there's something, there's a mindset that comes with it, right? Where you're kind which which among those of us that are bargain shoppers is a little bit shameful. (laughs) Where, Where you're kind of like, you're kind of aware of, ooh, that's a deal, you know, whatever. Um, the worst is when you come across a good deal for something that is completely pointless. <laughs> but there's a, there's a mindset there, right? Now, I've noticed among people that are really good at loving people, I've noticed a mindset. And my, you know, my wife's not here right now, so she won't be embarrassed. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've noticed this with her as well. And the mindset is something about Essentially finding people fascinating. Like whereas as a bargain shopper, I love to find a good deal. My wife collects people. Do, do, you, see what, do you see what I mean? And for, for many of us, so, social interaction is easier by stereotyping. Like we know that we're nuanced and profound, but everybody else falls into like 12 categories. And the, instead what needs to happen is we need to become students, essentially, of the complexity around what it means to be made in the image of God. People are amazing. But at the same time, just as love can be painful, and so love covers over a multitude of sins, hospitality can be difficult. We should offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It doesn't feel like love if it's done begrudgingly. This touches on the difficulty that comes with hospitality. Even the difficulty in loving others, it isn't always easy. And so we should be marked by a deep love for one another. And one of the ways that this is shown is with hospitality. Again, bigger than just welcoming people into our homes. Another way that this is shown in here in, in, in 1 Peter is it's shown by serving each other with spiritual gifts. So in the first part of verse 10, it says it this way. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Now, raises the question then, how has God gifted you? And so the the idea here, the assumption here that comes up in other places as well, with with, um, not only with Peter, but also with Paul, is that God has gifted you in some way, and that gift is meant to benefit others. 
It's not just for you. And so, um, so what we have is this picture here where, where we are meant to pour ourselves out, where we are meant to serve. That's the word that's used here. We should use whatever gift we've received to serve others. There's a guy named Dave Simmons uh, who wrote a book called Dad the Family Coach. And he shares an interesting example in it in which he sees, it's basically, it's, I've got to paint you a very American picture for you to understand this example. I hope you don't mind. But, um, you know, big malls where you kind of, when you're inside of a mall, you can't really see the, the, the world, like the outside, <laughs> like there's no sun, right? Okay. Um, and you can enter into one of these places and, and basically he goes there with his kids. And he's got a five-year-old and an eight-year-old at the time. And he, they, what they find is they find this sort of like thing for kids in the middle of the mall that's a petting zoo. And the idea is that you pay your admission and then you can go around and see all the animals. And for the parents, it's a nice way to sort of like dump your kids for a little bit um, and then come back. And so what he does is he, he gives them the admission fee and then thinks everything's fine and heads off and then comes back. And what he finds as he finds that his older daughter, um, what, what's happened is, is they got to paying for their entrance and found that they only had half the money they needed. And so what he finds is he finds that his, his five-year-old son is having a great time inside the petting zoo and his eight-year-old daughter is outside the petting zoo wishing she could be inside. Now, what's interesting to me about his example here is he sees kind of a teachable moment as a parent because as a parent... He, he wants to pay for his daughter. But what he notices is that she's learning a lesson in sacrificial love. And so he says the money was burning a hole in his pocket. And yet, at the same time, she didn't ask for admittance. She knew what she was doing. And so he, he left it so that she would fully learn the lesson that she'd entered into, where she was sacrificing on behalf of her younger brother. You see, what we find here is that we, you have been gifted to serve others. And what happens here, what should happen here, what's meant to happen here, is that we all play our part in that way, that we're all serving each other, and what results is something that's absolutely beautiful. It's a little bit like, to me, when you see um, an, an engaged couple, right? And what happens is when they were single, there wasn't much love. Like, you know what I mean? Like... And what happens is they get into this relationship and the one loves the other one and the other one loves back and it keeps going back and forth and all of a sudden you produce this vast amount of love that wasn't there before. And what's, I think what's meant to happen is we're meant to serve each other and as we do with the way that the Spirit of God has gifted us, what is produced is something that is abundant and beautiful as we play our part and so what we hear here in verse, at the end of verse 10 is we find that we are faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Don't you love that? I mean, the Spirit of God is enabling you so that you can pour the grace of God onto other people. And they can do, do the same to you. So we're faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And then we get two examples to round out this paragraph that if anyone speaks, he should do so as speaking the words of God. If anyone serves, 
He should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. When you love others, enabled by God, you are showing them the love of God. And in the end, God gets all the glory. And so in closing, if we just stand back from this passage for a moment, I wonder what it might mean for you. Right? The challenge here is that we love deeply. For some of us, that's going to raise things already that have made that difficult for us. We're to love deeply, and then a few ways of what this looks like, we're to offer hospitality. Maybe for you, it's realizing, starting to let your eyes be open to the beautiful complexity that people are. To offer hospitality. How are you gifted so that you can serve others, so that we can pour God's grace out on each other, that we together can see God at work among us. By the way, quick plug, shameless plug, if you're not part of a house group, join a house group. Fantastic. It's powerful to meet with the same group of people week in, week out, or every other week um, so that, that, are, that you're sharing life with. It starts kind of awkward, and eventually it becomes family. And so if you're not part of a house group, join one. But again, we need to love deeply. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help in this. Father, we pray that you would pour your grace on us through each other. Father, I pray for those of us where this is scary or difficult. Father, I pray that by your spirit that you would give us freedom and life and healing. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.